0: in person I, I'm one of those people now who has a drawer with liquor in it in his desk
1: man this is good radio
0: yep the sound of me mixing a drink <laughs> here I'll start there you go that. that's beautiful yep. that's good radio
1: yeah <laughs> At least All as good right. as us popping the cork and pouring the scotch right next to you. The, the yeah, exactly. Get those ASMR tingles.
0: <laughs> Hello, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch, the podcast in which two nerds, and sometimes others, talk about books, but not about scotch. I'm your host, Michael Lilienthal, and this is my guest, Michael Lilienthal, Lulli- I mean Ethan Bartlett.
1: I'm his guest, Ethan Bartlett, I mean Michael... Ah... <laughs> uh. <laughs> Identity is identity is porous, and um, maybe we're all figments of Prospero's imagination.
0: Ooh! Oh-ho! Diving right Look in. Look what I are did! We? Nice.
1: Thank
0: smart. you. Thank you.
1: I'm a little Look bit more that. proud of myself than I probably should be.
0: Yeah, you're very proud of yourself. I can see that. <laughs> I can see it in your face. The listener can't because they're a listener and not a viewer. Yeah. Well,
1: unless they paid to upgrade to the DVD subscription. Right. Right. the cassette yeah. tape subscription that is free.
0: <sighs> anyway, <laughs> yes, as Ethan alluded to, we're talking about The Tempest on this here Shakespeare special. Oh wait, special. are we? Yep.
1: I was just yep. legitimately thinking we might all be figments of Prospero's imagination, but here we are. Well,
0: that is also true, but, you know, also we're talking about this play. But Prospero by might
1: be Shakespeare, Shakespeare anyway, so.
0: <gasps> and we might all be figments of Shakespeare's imagination. I mean, that
1: sounds, does that not sound real likely to you?
0: Yeah, it really does. It,
1: yeah, it doesn't sound unlikely to me, so.
0: Not at all. Uh, before we get to that, though, Ethan, would you tell the listener what you're drinking? We're not drinking scotch.
1: No, because this is a Shakespeare, Shakespeare special, special. So, so we're
0: drinking something else. So, what are you drinking? As anyone has,
1: who has listened to all of our other Shakespeare specials, as good listeners would have by now, right. unlike, for example, my wife, who has not listened to any of the show, um, <laughs> other than when she's in the other room when it's being recorded and she hears it shouted at her through the door. Uh... I am. My wife
0: has said the same thing.
1: <laughs> weird, huh? Yeah. So, I am drinking what is called a Pimm's cup. Um, Pimm's number one cordial is found in what I call the weird stuff section of many liquor stores. Um, the weird stuff section is where you have all the weird, like, Benedictine and Aperol and Campari and, like, all your weird cordials and bitters and things. Um... But Pim's Pim was, I guess, a real guy who was a British guy, and he developed this cordial that was like based in gin, but it was it has a lot of like fruits and barks and herbs and other stuff. I think the recipe is supposed to still be proprietary, but it's a it's a super it's a super like English uh, cordial, um, and I'm doing what I think is the more recent standard mixing, which is just one part of that and then two parts of ginger beer so um there's there are fancier preparations some of which i've done and are quite good but i was Mm -hmm. feeling like a like a lazy lazy boy today so
0: yeah sometimes you're a lazy boy and sometimes you do the hard work (laughs) but are we honest about ourselves Ethan? is that
1: a song or did you just pretend to to be quoting a pop song
0: um I was making up a pop song on the spot, uh, and it's copyright me. That's very good.
1: That's very good. Yep.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Um, So, yes, I am drinking, I believe it's just called the Brandy Cocktail. Okay. Um, It's brandy uh, as well as a small portion of some orange-flavored liquor. I'm using Triple Sec for mine, but you can use, like, uh, Curacao or things like that. Uh, and then a few dashes of bitters. Sure. Very simple cocktail, uh, but uh, brandy-based, yeah. and it's called That's the Brandy a real... Cocktail. So Good.
1: That's actually a real old cocktail, <laughs> as as far as I understand. It's like Cool. In, in some well, of the books from the, the 1800s that I've read. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, Good. sometimes things stick around for a reason.
0: It, true, true. Longevity uh, sometimes does tell you something about the quality of a thing. Uh, yeah. Other times it's William McGonagall <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah Okay um, So on this uh, this here special uh, There's no rules We aren't following any rules um, So your wife can stay in the other room And listen to you shout at her from there She doesn't need to come in
1: So typical evening for her
0: <laughs> But uh, yeah So we we're going to talk about the Tempest But first Ethan Lachaim.
1: Uh slancha. It's a pity how we missed each other's classes there when we tried to test.
0: I know. How can we? How can we do that? How can we miss? Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a problem. Yeah.
1: Uh, you know. um, I I just repressed several jokes because this is a family show. <laughs>
0: uh, good impulse, good Thank impulse, you. because kids are listening. Yeah, the,
1: the, kid, the You know the kids these days. They sure do seek out podcasts about Shakespeare. Kids these days. Scotch listening
0: to podcasts yeah oh so we have uh for 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 my foster son the infant we do have a onesie for him to sleep in at night that says cool baby (laughs) very good on it yep (laughs) Uh, it is my wife's favorite onesie to put on him (laughs) so
1: uh yeah there's a a (laughs) very good meta reference yeah yeah yeah, yeah, anyway no yeah to a, to a podcast we're not going to name because they're way more famous not, than we are. Because
0: they're so much more famous than us that, you know, we can't name drop them until they pay yes. us for it.
1: Right, exactly. Which they will one day.
0: <laughs> they will. They will. <laughs> they will want us to represent them. Uh, ouch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, The
1: Tempest. So, The Tempest. The wow.
0: Tempest. This is, uh... This is a stormy little play, isn't it?
1: It is it is at least um, right at the beginning it is.
0: right at the beginning there's a big old storm. Um, yeah this uh, this play is it, do I understand correctly do I remember this correctly that this is the shortest of Shakespeare's plays?
1: Yeah, I believe so. It's because... certainly among the shortest
0: among the shortest anyway because i think yeah act both acts four and five are each one scene long yes act two is something like two scenes i think act one is also something like two scenes
1: yeah yeah they are all real short now i it occurred to me uh that act four probably would take longer in the playing because you have the mask um element which was an extremely sort of visual genre of theater at the time and some of those right. stage directions would have taken quite a while to play out. Um, right.
0: I think in the hands of a really excellent choreographer, um, Act 4 uh, would be excellent and intriguing and much lengthier than...
1: Um, yeah. It, it's sort of a... It would almost it. be sort of a choose-your-own, depending on how yeah. long you wanted it to play out.
0: Right. but yes. And when you consider things like Hamlet that take four hours and some change to right. play out the whole play this one i think even in the original would take less than two
1: yeah yeah probably um seems seems right to me and i was gonna say certainly as just as far as the text itself goes it's certainly the sh- if not the shortest it's certainly among the shortest sh- the shortest right. of the major ones i'm quite uh, yeah the
0: names. major ones definitely at least um which i think um just as as long as we're still talking about kind of the the overarching idea of the play not the in, uh the internal part of it yeah itself uh this is considered one of shakespeare's two original plays along with love love's labor's lost
1: yes yeah, so as far as the plot goes
0: right as far as the plot goes which i mean original is is a That's a loaded funny term, word potentially. uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but uh like the sources of the plot are not found anywhere there are a lot of theories about it yeah Um, and I'm not as familiar with Love's Labor's Lost, but, um, uh, I don't know how short or long that one is, but I wonder if some of the originality feeds into the length of this. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I think I've read Love's Labor's Lost a couple times, and I want to say it's more, it's closer to, like, an average, like, middle-of-the-road Shakespeare play. It's certainly no Hamlet. Um, right. though hamlet's a bit of an outlier because yeah the, the longest text that we have of hamlet may very well have been composed to be read and not to be performed um mm-hmm. there's some controversy about that but uh mm-hmm. even so um yeah love's i i would i don't think love's labor's Lost gets mentioned among the shortest plays um I will say, *Love's Labor's Lost*. What often gets said about it is that it has very little plot. Um, ah. Sort of like *As You Like It* that we that we uh, talked about on the show a while ago. Um, *Love's Labor's Lost* mm-hmm. is much more about sort of the uh, the wit and the the character um, and it. sort of like sort of sitting in a scene being witty um, than it is about uh, uh, sort of. Having an extremely complicated plot. Um Sure. And you know, to some extent, I feel like the Tempest is that way also.
0: That's what I was gonna say. It's uh it's similar, I think, in in those terms, yeah. that it's not necessarily plot heavy. Yeah. It's I don't know, it it's a comedy. It's it's classified as a comedy. Right. And it is, it's a comedy, it's funny. But it's also a comedy in the classical sense of you know everyone's happy and married at the yeah, end. Yeah, I was going to say
1: specifically in the cl- very classical sense that, that the the central young couple gets married at the end.
0: Right. But as far as the plot, I if I were to summarize the plot, it's some old wizard on an island messes with people for a couple hours. Right.
1: Um. <laughs> it, yeah. No. It really is like. It's less obviously sort of plotless than *As You Like It* or *Love's Labor's Lost*, which really, I mean, mm-hmm. *As You Like It*, um, as I think we we talked about when we talked about it on the show. It almost like flaunts the idea of plot right into the audience's face, in the in yeah. you know that that you have this this duke who creates what what conflict there is. He creates it in Act One, is off stage for three to four acts, and then doesn't even come back right at the end i don't think i think he just sends a messenger to say oh i've i've had a had a change of heart and now everything is resolved um Uh the tempest isn't quite that blatant about it um no but at the same time if you really think about what's going on in most of the scenes uh prospero's got it the whole time like yep. there's never
0: he's totally in control of the entire thing. Yeah,
1: there's never a question there's never a real question especially in Prospero's mind that like um you know Trinculo and, and Stefano will ever like mm-hmm. overthrow him. Um yep. there's not a real question that uh Sebastian and Antonio will actually off Alonso um Mm -hmm. you know there's i mean miranda and um there's
0: there's not actually a question that ferdinand is going to to actually break uh miranda's heart yeah they get (laughs) they get
1: together they almost literally get together at first sight and the only
0: yes there's a line about that i I think i underlined it where they they like fall in love at first sight and it's even stated explicitly that they saw each other like at the first sight of you i loved you or something like that
1: um and like Pros- the the only conflict there is created by Prospero, in a way that he right. explicitly states he knows how it's going to end. It's just necessary yep. to to do this. Yep. Um. Now, I I wanted to ask you, Michael. Uh, how many times have you read this play?
0: Oh. Okay. That that would be I my answer. Say too. five or six okay. at least. Yeah.
1: I I honestly don't know how many times, but it's at least. It's got to be at it's, least it's, five I've, I've read it.
0: I think, honestly, the only play I've read more than The Tempest is Hamlet. Well, maybe I've read Midsummer Night's Dream sure. more. Uh, maybe Much Ado About Nothing. Oh, I don't know. Somewhere like Midsummer Night's Dream, Much Ado About Nothing, and The Tempest might be about equal as far as how many okay. times I've read those sure. three. Uh, but Hamlet is by far the one I've read the most. Sure, sure, sure. Um, as,
1: as is only <laughs> right and proper. Right.
0: But yeah. But I, I do want to talk about that a little bit, that you mentioning this idea of, of uh, Prosper really having all these things yeah. in hand the entire play. I think the first maybe two times that I read it, I didn't really think of it that sure. way. Um, like those plots, especially. Um, oh, who was it who had the plot to overthrow him? Uh, Trinculo and Stefano? Yeah, they're, they're going to work with Caliban yeah, too. With Caliban. Yep. Uh, that, that plot, that seemed to be like where the plot was yeah. going, at least the first time yeah. I read it, that okay, here's Caliban. We've seen him shunned by his master or, or abused, at least in the way he sees it. And that's that we can debate about that too. Right. But um, the he we see him all of a sudden come upon these two guys who are shipwrecked and then they're going to go and overthrow mm-hmm. him. Okay, here's a plot that's going to happen. We're going to get to see some right. hijinks. We're going to see a fight happening. Uh, and you know Prospero doesn't see this coming. Ariel warns him. So then we think, okay, he's got a little bit of an upper hand right. now um and so they're gonna they're still gonna have a fight though but no prospero just kind of clicks his fingers yeah yeah uh, <laughs> like that that
1: they have that whole um they have that whole like scene leading up to it like where caliban talks them yep. into this into this uh intrigue uh in the in the old uh uh sense that's that's a real that's a real word nounal um yep that you know <laughs> caliban's like all right yeah we can we can take this island and rule it for ourselves and like the whole scene prepping everybody for that is is there and is very sort of long and explicit and then it basically goes nowhere as far as the plot goes it just it it just kind of kind of fizzles out um
0: which i think the first time i read it that was kind of disappointing to me like i was like no this is gonna be exciting i want to see what's happening here i want i want there to be some more action and stuff but this time around reading it, and I think the last time I read it, too, uh, I was more like, no, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah? How so? <laughs> uh, because, especially this time around, I, I I wasn't as thorough as I maybe wanted uh-huh. to be, but I took notes explicitly on just how much Jesus Prospero okay. is. Um, I, I have six explicit places where Prospero is attributed with uh, performing miracles that Jesus performed. Sure. I mean, the first one is going to be him calming the storm. Right. Okay. Uh in Act One, Scene One. Right. But I don't really want to talk about the rest of them. There are a few others, uh mostly the sea based miracles. But the last one I want to talk about is in Act Five, Scene One, lines forty eight through fifty, where he says, Graves at my command have waked their sleepers, oped and let them forth by my so potent art.
1: Yeah. Um I I I want I want you to hold on to what you were gonna say and not let me distract you by okay. 25 minutes of digression but um i do want to say that uh i've never i i get i guess i've resisted the jesus analogy with prospero sure. um partly because i've studied some of the history of like medieval alchemy and okay um just sort not not sorcery in the sense of people really trying to perform magic which was a thing that happened in the middle ages and especially the renaissance but more of uh, 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 the sort of literary depiction of sorcery sure um and that to me prospero really embodies in some ways the renaissance view of the sorcerer like a historical yep. equivalent might be john Dee, um but the the uh the the white magic sorcerer as opposed to the black magic sorcerer mm-hmm. but those those the portrayals both people like John D who built who was a real person and built like a a sort of mythos for himself out of the facts of his own life, as well as more literary sorcerers they're very careful um to stay within this sort of medieval slash Renaissance like Catholic worldview where there are certain powers that they don't have or that to attempt would sure. push them over into the line of of sort of black magic like devil magic right sure um and generally resurrecting the dead is one of those
0: yeah that's Um, what i was gonna say
1: so uh prospero you know and the rest of the play prospero certainly comes off as a much more benign like like uh uh what they'd call white magic type of sorcerer until that little clause
0: yep and it's it's so easy to just overlook it too yeah Uh, yeah well uh, especially big old speech
1: that's like Uh, almost denouement Mm -hmm. plot-wise. It is.
0: And that's kind of where I want to get at this, too, because it's denouement, but also a little bit of a climax, because um, I I want to suggest something to you. The plot of this play is actually biblical, uh, as far as the overarching plot, what it is, because, as I summarized it, it's some old guy on an island messing with people. But, if you take more of the context of that, that he knows these people, he's related to these people, he's in a position of power that they didn't expect him to be in, because they had exiled him
1: oh
0: okay because sure. in that same speech in act five scene one later on in um line 78 sure. uh he's talking to gonzalo i think or alonzo okay or Sebastian. no one of them no Alonso, ah, eh, whoever anyway uh he's talking <laughs> to one of them and he he has the line there in 78 i do forgive thee first of all okay sure um so again oh, teases almost, a little bit it's almost but certainly
1: then, uh uh Antonio the usurping brother right
0: maybe um go on go on i'll figure it out he's talking to a lot of people in that speech but uh then uh yeah it's got to be Antonio more conversation that happens
1: Naples from him yeah doesn't matter go on
0: uh, whatever uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to figure out in there anyway um then he comes to Alonzo he's talking to Alonzo in line 109 um and he says i embrace thy body And to thee and thy company I bid a hearty welcome. Okay, so kind of turning over all of this stuff. He's been messing with them, but now he welcomes them. Then over to line 131, um, uh, I do forgive thy rankest fault, all of them, uh, and require that my dukedom of thee, which perforce I know thou must restore. So um, there's a lot of forgiveness happening here. Yeah. Uh, Then another line, Alonzo's line, this time in the same scene, uh, line 175, He sees Miranda and Ferdinand there, so he's thought Ferdinand was dead up until this point, but now he sees his son. If this prove a vision of the island, one dear son shall I twice lose. Uh, And then Ferdinand says, uh, just a couple lines later, Though the seas threaten, they are merciful. I have cursed them without cause. What I'm seeing in all of this, this, the through line that I'm seeing here, is Joseph and his brothers in Egypt.
1: Oh, okay
0: um prospero being the joseph figure but then ferdinand also kind of being the joseph slash benjamin figure as well um in all of this that you know they cast away their brother their relative they sent him off expected him to die or be in exile sure and then they come and find themselves under his power and he's messing with them exactly what joseph did yeah uh, until finally he turns it around and reconciles with them
1: yeah um
0: and Joseph and himself being in a lot of ways that way a type of Christ a Christ figure in that way too right which is um, sort which of which is the... where i think that which is why i don't want to say no to your sorcerer figure thing too because i think they they they're all connected uh, sure. and it's the layers that shakespeare is so good at yeah <laughs> all absolutely of these things.
1: but that's that's definitely an analogy i had never thought of is the idea that that prospero sort of being cast away and then coming to a place of power is very very much joseph in uh in the book of uh, genesis
0: genesis thank you
1: (laughs) i knew that i was just testing you
0: you were testing me yeah (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah. uh i mean i don't ever get all the stories in genesis versus exodus confused (laughs) even though the story of exodus is right there in the title anyway this is not about me um (laughs) No, it's uh, it's a uh, no. It, we'll
0: have we'll have Sunday the Sunday School podcast after this, <laughs> Ethan.
1: <laughs> which is the podcast with the two of us, except I'm us. only listening. Yep. <laughs> occasionally, you have to yell at me for like sticking gum on the bottom of this of my chair or something else that Sunday School people do.
0: And occasionally, I have to coax an answer from you, and it's always, always Jesus. always Jesus,
1: which tempted me to go into that old joke about. The Sunday school teacher asking the kid what what a small rodent that runs up a power line and some, sometimes accidentally gets itself killed is, and the kid is just like, "Well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm gonna say Jesus."
0: Yep. <laughs> Aren't you, you glad know, I you didn't tell that, that joke, joke by saying you weren't gonna <laughs> yes. get into it, <laughs> and
1: then told the whole joke? Is that what you're? Is that what you're saying? Oh, oh yes, good. I
0: know some English professors we both had in college who'd be proud. <laughs>
1: Uh, anyway yeah um so yeah no i (laughs) like i say i i actually thought of a lot of like analogies and metaphors for prospero in this in this rereading and i definitely didn't go to joseph and now it seems like it's one of those things that seems super obvious except i never would have thought of it
0: i never thought of it until this time around so yeah
1: so that does that does make me want to to sort of provoke you in this theory um yeah. by drawing an analogy that I did think of. Um Ooh. actually, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna come clean here. I did not think of it. Um I cribbed it <laughs> from a podcast yeah. I like to listen to what's called approaching Sh- Alright, I'm gonna start that over. You can you can cut that last little uh mispronunciation out. Approaching Shakespeare um mm which is by a woman named emma smith i believe um and it's just i i found it in my my podcast aggregator but it appears to just be a series of lectures um delivered by this woman who uh is a is a lecturer in shakespeare at oxford or at least was when they were recorded um and she gives them over the course of several years and they're they're not like They don't seem to be like a a specific semester-long class so much as like an extra credit kind of set of lectures like they're almost like notes for people who are writing um like theses on shakespeare or something um Mm -hmm. but in preparation for this show i re-listened to her lecture on the tempest which is very good um super worth listening to uh I was going to say, over anything that I have to say, she doesn't draw the very brilliant analogy to Joseph, but um, one thing she does talk about is Prospero's connection with a figure from one of your favorite plays, I believe, Michael, uh, Christopher Marlowe's Dr. Mm -hmm. Faustus. Love it. So, if Prospero is Jesus slash Joseph how does he then relate or compare to dr faustus well, because in some ways he's very similar like a lot of the yeah. language i know i just asked you a question and then started, and then to started answer. talking yep. um <laughs> which is what i also did when i was a teacher so you know um yeah. and you notice i know you notice i use the past tense of teacher but of what yep. anyway um <laughs> words are hard uh
0: words are hard <laughs> Prospero could teach you, but he'd have to charge.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Would he? Would he be a? Would he be, now I. Now I just. I okay. Gentle listener, um, what you heard was the beginning of us devoting forty-five minutes to the debate as to whether uh, Prospero would be a sophist or a, a Socratic. Um, <laughs> but but Michael oh, mercifully oh. deleted that. Uh, oh, yep. You're welcome. Yep. <laughs> you didn't want that nobody does (laughs) even we didn't even we we were doing it um so anyway yeah so like there's there's a lot of very similar language and of course these plays would have been out um within what 10 to 20 years of each other i don't remember when faustus was published but yeah played Um, first but certainly Marlowe
0: died before well before the end of shakespeare's career um right And this is at the end of Shakespeare's career, so...
1: But still, it would be like if a film came out today referencing, like, The Matrix. Like, probably not that... The the cultural milieu had moved on, but the reference would still be current, and probably a lot of Shakespeare's audience would see a similarity, especially in the talk of books and the talk of study, um...
0: Well, and the spirits, um, yes, yes, the, the the spirits who are in service to him. I mean, Ariel versus Mephistopheles, exactly. Um. And also the
1: some of the this comes into some of the talk of like burning the books and and breaking the staff and renouncing um, sure. things that that uh, as I remember Faustus gets there, but only as he's being literally dragged to hell pretty much yeah whereas he's prospero... counting down the
0: minutes to midnight and uh you know begging the mountains to fall on him in true uh solmic fashion and yes. um uh, promising that he'll give up all this stuff but of course it's too late
1: <laughs> whereas prospero uh sort of is allowed and then does voluntarily give that up yep. sort of of his own accord mm-hmm. so i i've said some of the like surface level differences but what do you think the uh... Uh, significance of those similarities and differences might be
0: i don't know there are a couple of ways i could think of it um on the one hand you don't necessarily have the context of the the church in the tempest being sure uh the uh, a, a strong figure as it is in dr faustus i mean the pope sure. is a character in dr faustus great um and theology like Dr. Faustus turns to uh necromancy and such when he has become bored of theology amongst other uh uh studies. Sure. But um so that's that's one thing that's omitted here. I, I don't know how significant that is, except because I think there is probably a connection to some degree.
1: It does um, seem like potentially a significant omission, especially for characters that come from Italy.
0: Exactly. Who would who would very much be catholic <laughs> yeah
1: yeah right or at um, least nominally catholic especially if you're in positions of power
0: right which i wonder if that if this this could be used then in those those classic arguments was shakespeare a closet catholic or was he a, a truly a protestant or what right. uh, you know or or was he neither or was he both or you know all those different right. things was shakespeare a spy all that right. all those fun discussions that i don't really care about but um Marlowe
1: was actually a spy
0: Marlowe was a spy, yes, that's confirmed. But um, he got stabbed in the eye.
1: (laughs) Um, Possibly by Her Majesty's government, according to some uh, (laughs) scholars.
0: Nope. But this Um, isn't the
1: Christopher Marlowe podcast special.
0: The Christopher Marlowe's podcast special.
1: We probably should do one of those at some point, huh?
0: Yeah, that could be really fun. Yeah. Um, But then we'd have to branch into Ben Johnson and such.
1: I mean, I could see in... Every man in his humor, every man out of his humor, uh, Duel dual mm-hmm. special in our future.
0: We can do that. We can do that. Yeah. That'd be fun. Um, anyway, the, the one thing that I keep thinking of in here is the concept of language. Sure. Um, that's the only thing that I might think connects here because in Dr. Faustus, um, the titular character is very smart very intelligent but he is also duped by the spirits sure uh and if you trace how dr faustus uses language versus how mephistopheles uses language mephistopheles is by far the master sure um even doing psychological things like just count how many times mephistopheles says faustus says his name that's a psychological thing to attract him to him right it's a Um, it's a
1: classic um seduction technique among other things
0: exactly exactly so mephistopheles is brilliant at all of this in the Tempest, um, we get the impression that there's more to Ariel. Um, that Ariel has has some some powerful background to him slash her, uh, this androgynous being. Right. Um, but then Caliban is very much not. He's not a spirit, but he's still kind of like amongst the the monster monstrous servants of Prospero. But he is elevated by Prospero's language. Right. And Prospero is definitely the master in all of this. Um by his use of language uh and speech language books, words are repeated so often in reference to Prospero um and if it's in reference to anybody else, it's always with the shadow of Prospero in the background sure um that that's that's maybe the only difference that I'm thinking of at the moment besides the absence of the church in the tempest sure
1: i mean those those are all very interesting ideas, um yeah, and I think there is a it does seem significant that uh the the spirits are almost in control of faustus versus right uh prospero very much being in control of his his spirits or his uh creatures right. um so so to to go back to that whole uh necromancy idea uh what do you think of of that thought that that faustus dabbles in necromancy and it's it's um Sort of a transgression versus is it what about Prospero saying, you know, graves have graves have opened their mouths and uh, right. so forth? Um, what is what is the difference there? I don't know. <laughs> well, fair enough. Um. <laughs>
0: The, like, it, it's it's something that Faustus is striving for. It's something that Prospero seems to have gotten over. Sure. <laughs> that's that's the difference. The, sure. I, but I uh, other than that, I don't know. Okay. I, I don't really know what the difference is. I, I, I kind of conceive of these two plays in being as being in different categories. I want to investigate that idea further, though, because that comparison had never really occurred to me. Yeah. Uh, to take Prospero and Faustus uh, together. But they do seem to embody um totally different ideals different universes right um it's it's the idea of like you know uh it, it, t- let's talk about harry potter again <laughs> um <with> all <laughs> it's the, the, the the uproar from um some some wild uh, conservative christian groups right but even there it was you know i mean it gets it blown out of proportion but the idea that oh magic is evil so we can't have a kid's book about this right but the thing is, it's a different universe, and it is not to be taken literally. It's a fantasy, right. just like, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia or the Lord of the Rings. Right, right. Um, which, you know, those same Christian groups would be fine with unless pressed <laughs> and forced some of them. to be consistent. I, <laughs> I
1: gotta tell you, as a homeschooler, I got down into the weeds with some of the real, real conservative ones who also... Sure. There are groups out there that don't like Narnia or... Um, the lord of the rings books because they also feature magic like there there are yeah i promise groups that exist that are fundamentalist enough that just y- the use oh, of I the know. word magic disqualifies you
0: i know they're out there but i just fundamentally disagree with it so. <laughs> i
1: mean i do too that's for that matter uh
0: but that's more or less kind of how i'm conceiving of the tempest he's you know in the same sort of sphere as a universe of harry potter
1: or sure Narnia. i mean and i'm i'm I tend to agree with that so far as it goes but I still feel like there's got to be I don't think Shakespeare do could have conceived of Prospero without Dr. Faustus somewhere in his mind
0: and of course you're saying that I I do agree with you <laughs> uh I just don't know how yeah yeah
1: <laughs> and I mean maybe this this topic might be a subject for an academic paper or even like a like a yeah. thesis length paper all by itself just It's, it's, I do feel like, especially if you go into enough context of cultural conceptions of a supernatural power, um, and even potentially other figures, other, um, you know, sorcerer wizard figures in Elizabethan literature, shoot, like, if you go into all of that, you could write a book. Um, Yeah. But I think it's a fascinating comparison.
0: It is. It is a fascinating comparison. And I want to research yeah i want to look into it <laughs> I, I mean of course there there's the the classic comparison of seeing prospero as shakespeare which you alluded to yeah before, which i hate uh, and the idea of magic being a metaphor for the the play being something that takes over the the minds and hearts uh i think anxiety is something that has been classically considered as far as what the playwright is able to create in people sure um as the as if by magic sure um,
1: um I got to say I hate the whole the whole Prospero is Shakespeare thing partly because yeah. it's reductive um right. partly because <laughs> I hate the the biograph by bio- bi- I hate biographical readings of literature just on mm-hmm. principle even though I end up doing it once every other episode or so um
0: the thing is I hate the reduction of biographical readings of literature yeah. but it has to be a part of every piece of literature
1: I, to to some in in the sense <laughs> to an extent yeah, in the sense that that someone had these thoughts within their brain before they exactly. put them on a page yeah um but uh yeah yeah it's it's really just that reductiveness that 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 mm-hmm. I tend to hate and um especially in in Shakespeare um uh, from what i understand like the uh the idea of writing an autobiographical um piece whether poetry or or drama or even something on the order of a novel um mm-hmm. was not really an elizabethan idea um that it tends to mm-hmm. be read backward onto elizabethan writers from like the the romantic era on forward mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know how true that is. That's just something I've read in a few sources. Right. Um, but, uh, I do think that the idea of Prospero as, uh, almost like a director or a, a stage manager idea, um, I do think that has some, uh, uh, some weight to it. Um, mm-hmm. especially cause like with, to you know the the classic reading of of the Tempest is that it's Shakespeare's last play and that it's his farewell to the stage, and the epilogue mm-hmm. is him saying goodbye to the theater. He definitely was in the theater like for at least two or three years after uh, the Tempest was was written. Yeah. Uh, you know his. Um, we know that his play Henry the Eighth uh, or All is True came out after this. Um, we know that probably two noble kinsmen possibly cardinio came out after that like this was not his last play um no but the idea that that prospero is a a, a sort of playwright in that that's i think because mm-hmm. you you know theater history better than i do to when does the concept of a director start to come into fashion oh, is it later than that's this? so recent yeah
0: um I, it, it was not around at Shakespeare's okay. time uh, It was not around um, I want to say it was either the late 1700s or the 1800s okay. That the idea of a director happened But it was uh, No, I don't think it was the 1700s I think it was even late 1800s It's, it's such a recent invention Is it one of those Primarily before that it was the divas, yes. um, who Who were kind of the ones who called the shots Whoever was the lead right. actor got to decide how things right. went and they kind of filled the double role of director and actor. Right. Um,
1: and I feel like for Shakespeare himself, from what we understand, and maybe just in his time, playwrights had somewhat mm-hmm. of a of a uh, right, right, a role.
0: Yeah, they they kind of controlled things a little bit, kind of like a director, just because they had the words, they knew what they meant, they knew they had the vision of what was supposed yeah, to be es- on stage, and so they were controlling. What especially if be.
1: you're writing in parts where you just give each actor yeah. their individual pieces of the script the
0: right the the full script didn't really exist except that what the playwright yeah. had and even there uh it's debatable whether even that existed i know there are some theories out there that you know he just wrote it and then yeah it up yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just kind of remembered yeah or um,
1: uh, i think the other theories are just that there was like a copy that the playwright had and then a chopped up copy that everyone else had right but either way yeah. that really does still center center the playwright so um I think to view Prospero as a sort of playwright is potentially quite valid, especially when he's, like, figured in some of the stage directions and whatnot as, like, standing on a platform above the stage, sometimes, like, commenting potentially to the audience about, (laughs) like, what people are doing. Like, oh, he's really coming along. Um, Let alone the fact that he explicitly just says, like, Alright, Ferdinand and Miranda, that's a done deal, but like, I gotta give him some business. It's almost like, it's like one layer removed from him being like, I gotta give him some business, because this play has to last a little longer. <laughs> uh,
0: I gotta inject some plot into this.
1: Uh. <laughs> right. Um, oh good but which you know shakespeare easily could have just not bothered with that and put a few more layers of artifice on there and just made it the plot but instead it's this almost like a a person who had been in an undergraduate english program these days and had certain types of uh philosophical perspectives who was just encountering this play without any contact historical mm. context would accuse Shakespeare of being a postmodernist <laughs> um, because there's, there is a lot of meta commentary on, you know, the story and how character develops. And um, there's just a lot of artifice yep. that Prospero brings, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's not, and it's, it's not unique to no. this play. Uh, you have, play within a play in hamlet oh, yeah. you have play within a play in midsummer night's dream there's plays um, within plays all again over the
0: place. this play is understated like it almost has less plot than yeah the tempest itself because <laughs> uh-huh. it's it's literally just the the gods uh or is it just goddesses at this point i think it's just goddesses isn't it blessing so, a marriage yeah. right um which, uh, I have a small comment on that too. Uh, it's act four, scene one, which is the only scene in act four line one twenty and following <laughs> right. Prospero says spirits. Um, he's confirming Ferdinand's question. Are these spirits? Uh, may, may I be right. bold to think these spirits? Prospero says spirits, which mine art ha- I have from their confines called to enact my present fancies. Just emphasizing once again, right. he's the one who has control. He's the one who's directing the action in this play that he is directing, uh, of spirits but these spirits what are they playing they're playing gods so prospero is literally the god right. of the gods
1: <laughs> yes absolutely and then also uh uh i think it's it's somewhere close to that isn't it where he prospero has his famous speech um
0: oh we are such stuff as uh, dreams are made on
1: we, yeah 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 yeah
0: um,
1: um yeah that's just a few lines later that's like what line
0: it's somewhere in there
1: one oh it's not that exact line, I don't think. Anyway, one one like forty eight. Oh, there it is. It's one one fifty six. Oh, thank no. you. It,
0: but yeah, in that and speech that you were looking at, starting
1: with "Our rebels now are ended." These our actors, as I foretold you, were all spirits and are melted into air. Which again is a very like postmodern thing for a Renaissance playwright to be doing, where uh-huh. he has, um, his his within even within the play, his his, his these are actors. But but also it's like it's a great opportunity for whoever plays Prospero to like point out that they're that these are actors. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's like a a doubling sort of sort of a thing, which
0: I've heard somewhere along the lines. um, I can't remember where this idea came to me. Maybe it was from the Folger Shakespeare podcast. Um, But the the idea that these sorts of warnings would come into plays a lot and they were more or less required oh. by law so that people didn't freak out too much. They needed to be <laughs> reminded, no guys, this is fake. Remember, this is fake. Sure. Um, I don't know how much stock I put into that because I don't know if I've seen enough research for it, but it does seem to happen yeah. fairly commonly that Shakespeare's plays do kind of warn people, guys, this is fake. This is a play. Remember.
1: <laughs> right. One thing um one so that that makes me think of a couple things. One is the idea that I know historically um, you didn't actually portray a marriage ceremony yes. on the Elizabethan <laughs> stage because the words of the ceremony were considered binding yep. um so that if if you were to have done that, it would be considered that these actors were now married to each other, yep which in a in a day that was very sort of uh heterosexual affirming, and also the girl actors were played by men yep. that would be many many layers of uh mm, social of difficulty going on there <laughs> not uh, to mention the priests
0: um, would complain about losing business
1: yes <laughs> <laughs> um but uh there's that um but the other the other thing that occurs to me uh is if you've ever read into like the history of film at all um you've probably read stories about like some of the very first films like the lumiere brothers would take these very short films of just like things happening every day and one of the most famous ones a train is like coming towards the screen um and it sort of like comes right at you and then sort of goes off off screen um and there's one about like it's just like a a image of the ocean like like waves on a sea right and mm-hmm. but there's no there's no foreground in it it's just the the ocean waves Um, and there are stories about, you know, people in the Nickelodeons where these short films were displayed, um, sort of like screaming and like diving for the aisles or like flinching from the, from the (laughs) waves on the ocean, you know, thinking they're about to get hit. And they're usually told in this very condescending, like, these dumb people couldn't understand what technology was. Uh Um, but there are some essays that are extant that are uh go into some of the historical context to say that like these these short silent films had essentially carnival barkers because Nickelodeons that played films in those days were not very far removed from like vaudeville theaters which were very close to like carnivals, right? Mm-hmm. Um and so you'd have a barker who's like there narrating the films and sort of like working people up, like, oh no, the train's gonna get you. So um there's a semi-revisionist reading that like some of the the people like diving into the aisles and screaming or whatever was not because they legitimately thought a magic train had appeared and was going to run them over um but because they were sort of like in the spirit of the thing like playing along sure um and it makes me wonder in this context too if some of these warnings like certainly maybe the elizabethan equivalent of people who think that harry potter is going to make children into witches mm-hmm. maybe did require them but maybe someone on the level of shakespeare is writing it into into his play say just as a moment for a really good actor who can create like a a dramatic scene or a a, a something like that to just be like guys it's it's a play <laughs> Where you have that sort of double um, duplicity that you you bring the audience into, mm-hmm. like you've gotten them emotionally worked up, but also at the same time you've like uh, sort of made them laugh by jarring them out of it again. Right. Well, um, like I would tend to think much more that something, especially in a in someone as sophisticated as Shakespeare and his players, like I would tend to much more assume that something like that is going on mm-hmm. than that. Anyone, even in the, the 1500s, 1600s needed to literally be reminded that it was a play.
0: Right. I don't think, I don't think people were that dumb. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But like, also, I, I wonder how much of it is kind of the same thing that we experience with like horror movies. Sure. Where people go home and they're afraid to turn the lights out after a horror movie. Right. Because they're afraid of whatever monster was in that horror movie.
1: Right but yeah and especially if you're working with like the special effects of the day that like mm-hmm. a mask scene would probably you know would probably do like mm-hmm. yeah there there could be something to that as well like no no guys it's okay don't worry this is right. just a play
0: it's just a play it's just you'll be all right but no i think <laughs> there are probably multiple reasons for these things um, yeah yeah
1: and, and at a certain point, those kind of warnings might even have become ritualized yeah that's so that's like, something
0: I was gonna say that like this is just something that was done, yeah, that um, and I wonder too, how much of it came out of like you know speaking of theater history and things like the the Greek tragedies were all very religious, yeah, um, they were part of religious rituals, and so maybe yeah. some of these warnings that guys this is this is all fake is to distance it from the religious ritual sort of aspect of it, sure, um. Like because then that those sorts of things were reserved for um, liturgy, uh, sure. where the drama was played out in in liturgical fashion. Um, sure. But uh, then you know in the public sphere, it's not a religious thing. It's 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 fake. It's entertainment. It's sure. it's something for societal uh, improvement and, and such. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. They, they, I'm totally just spitballing, brainstorming all these things. I have no idea. Sure. Uh, it's just an interesting phenomenon
1: yeah um her getting back to to the whole prospero as director idea mm-hmm. um uh, this is again in reference to this this uh lecture uh that i that i heard in approaching shakespeare um she she mentions that that uh, there are other director figures in shakespeare but they're often sort of uh uh either compromised or outright villainous like iago in othello is sure. almost a director figure um hamlet of course becomes a director figure and yep. like his his uh ground as hero or villain is probably one of the most contested ones in shakespeare um you know and uh, uh certain other other even richard iii becomes a sort of sort of stage stage manager, director of, um, some of the conspiracies he does in the first half of that play. Um, but one that she didn't mention that occurred to me, uh, was Rosalind in As You Like It, um, which is a much more benign directorial role, but she spends a good deal of that play literally directing Orlando into how to be a good lover to her, lover in the the older, more, uh, Um, holistic sense but you know she she disguises herself as a boy and like just has him sort of practice uh uh wooing her and then gives him pointers on it which has the effect of her literally becoming the the director or the writer of how orlando loves her rosalind yeah and i think there's there's a a connection to be made between that and prospero sort of directing or writing quote-unquote this this entire uh the drama of this entire play
0: that's an interesting one that i hadn't thought of um you know i thought of like hamlet especially as far as the directors go but sure rosalind hadn't occurred to me um but that's that's an intriguing one that yeah she kind of does it it seems obvious to me now thinking of her kind of just controlling the action and directing things she has maybe a little more uncertainty as far as how things will turn out prospero really has all things in hand as we said but great, right. huh <laughs> you've made me want to read this and as you like it again <laughs> and all these different things and write a, a harold bloom length book <laughs> uh,
1: one of those was enough in my life
0: <laughs> yeah uh. well we're kind of winding down to the end of our time here yeah Do you have any more avenues you want to go down and discuss things Ethan?
1: Uh, not a, that will take us the next four minutes. Okay. Um, it, we could start going I, into various
0: I, commentaries and things. We could talk about yeah. the the idea of slavery. <laughs> yeah.
1: I was gonna say, I the only thing that we haven't talked about that I'd love to go into is Caliban, but that is yeah. not a, the next four minutes discussion. Um. Yeah. I will say that Harold. So there's been a there's been a trend um, in the last. 40 or 50 years interpretations of the Tempest to make Caliban almost the hero mm-hmm. um, and uh, to view him as Prospero's unwilling slave who is like mounting sort of a freedom fight against against Prospero mm-hmm. um, I know that Harold Bloom specifically sort of calls those out as being utterly ridiculous interpretations um and I have to say, I find them hard to support, especially in this this rereading. Um, you could, you could, are there? There are certain arguments that you could make that Caliban is a an unfortunate figure viewed from our modern perspective. Which, again, I I won't go into because they're they're super lengthy. But I have to say the reductiveness of flipping Caliban into the good guy, um, is is equally problematic, I would say, as, uh, simply viewing him as a, as a slave. Right,
0: he's a more complex character than he is given credit for on, like, either side of the debate that way yeah exactly i
1: think okay. i think either interpretation misses a lot of what's going mm-hmm. on with him and that's not to say that we need to think of him as a good or helpful character versus like a, a bad or unfortunate one right just to say that there's a lot going on there and to be aware of reductive interpretations of him
0: yeah mm-hmm. definitely i i would agree with you on that Maybe... Yeah, I don't know. I like reading this time uh, again. Like I, I've I've read it with the thought of Caliban trying to focus in on that character and think, well, you know, how oppressed was he and, and yeah. such, and how much did he deserve of what he was getting with his servitude and, and all of those things. Right. Um. This time around, um, he struck me just as, uh, well, he. He as a complex character, mostly villain, but you know, with some circumstances that caused him to be villainous. Sure. But he was also willingly embracing those things. Yeah, um, I mean, and it was much more about Prospero for me.
1: He did try to sexually assault Miranda. That's what I was going like, to say. That like that like, that's part explicitly is
0: explicitly stated, and he doesn't deny it. He says, "Yeah, then I would have peopled the island with Calvin. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which was
1: a passage I read out to my wife on this reread, and I was like, "Yeah, I missed." All of the implications of that when I was first reading this at the age of fifteen.
0: Well, and I think too part of that, uh, part of the thanks you have for that is that um, the idea of sexual assault, as horrible as it is, being considered in our culture now as pretty much the unforgivable sin. Right. Um. That's he was he's guilty of it. <laughs> right, and he you know it. <laughs> it's
1: it's one of those things where it's like if you're Prospero and you're this young woman's father, like yeah even if you can't like sort of objectively justify certain things like you might sort of subjectively justify it for that reason in other words i don't know it it it, anything prospero does to caliban assuming that that incident is true as caliban seems to affirm seems not necessarily like legally or morally justified but like completely but understandable at least emotionally. yeah exactly emotionally justified for sure
0: Yep. Yeah. well and he 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 does the whole like um scary father monologue to Ferdinand at one right. point too, like break your heart and I'll break you right um essentially and so like here we're seeing with Caliban he's fulfilling that promise right. yeah
1: exactly <laughs> um and it's almost it's almost like a scarier and and in some ways worse version than literally just like breaking you in half or murdering you with magic or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So again,
0: now that I'm thinking of this, like any guy who ever dates my daughter, I, I, I want to, like just call him Caliban. Refuse to call him by his name. Call him Caliban and say, "Read the Tempest."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends on if you like him. Maybe you could call him Ferdinand because that might be. Scary well, no, much. I'm not going to grace him with that. Yeah, that's, that's fair. You know,
0: I'll, I'll call him Caliban until he earns his way out. Of it. <laughs> Guilty until proven innocent.
1: And then you call. Anyway. And then when he does, you call him Ferdinand. And if he's read the Tempest like he should, he will know to take it as a compliment.
0: And if he looks at me confusedly, then I'll say, I take it back. You're banished.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, hopefully that uh, set of monologues that you have just committed to posterity will not ever come back to haunt you. Slash, (laughs) I definitely won't play them for anyone who might be interested to hear them.
0: Mm, Yeah, of course not. Yeah, like, I can, would never do that. i was going like to say anything. I can hear you
1: in your voice trying to remember back through our archives what things I have said that you could like uh-huh, hold as uh-huh. counter collateral and I can't think of anything but I am sure that there's a lot. So there yeah, they are. I'm sure yeah, they are. I'll just
0: listen it at, at 1.5 speed
1: <laughs> and get figure it out. Oh good. Well, gentle listener, now that we've uh, settled ourselves into a sort of nuclear détente. <laughs> I'm gonna good. let Michael wrap up the episode because he's he's the All host. All right.
0: Ratings. Yes, let's really quick. Uh, uh, Ethan, rate your drink one to five stars. Uh, uh
1: three and a half. It's a good three and a half. Good sort of the cocktail equivalent of a patio pounder.
0: hmm mm-hmm. Um,
1: Very not good. sorry to drink it.
0: Sure. Uh, the brandy cocktail. I'm gonna give it a solid four. Nice. It's a it's a good good drink, and I would drink it again. Like it's something that I could easily see myself going back to. You know, it's like oh, I want a cocktail. What do I want? Oh, I've got the ingredients for a brandy cocktail. Sure. I'll I, I'll do nice. that. Um, I think that's that's good. good. So, all right. Uh, the tempest, Ethan. Buy borrow, forget about it. I mean,
1: buy it. It's probably fifty yeah. cents, and like yeah, really buy can, it. You have yeah, no excuse. There's, there's nothing I can say except buy it.
0: No, it's Shakespeare. Yeah. Buy it. Okay, it's Shakespeare, and um, it's not right. like
1: Pericles, Timon of Athens, or uh, Titus Andronicus. So buy it.
0: Right. <laughs> um, all right. Rate right, the pairing. Perfect match. Pretty good match. Slight mismatch. Total mismatch. I was
1: thinking about this. Uh, I I do think it's actually a perfect match because um, gin is very English. So you've got your Shakespeare in there, but there's a lot of like mm-hmm. berries and herbs and stuff that like I could see. I could see Prospero sort of whipping this concoction together and distilling it on his island
0: oh, oh very good um mine was not a very good match i mean the brandy uh cocktail is good but i don't think it really goes with the tempest necessarily there are a lot of things that would go a lot better yeah if i'd been thinking i would have picked something with rum. sure yeah Uh-oh. that would be a very which i mean i want. know is more caribbean than but it's uh, mediterranean it's also, but still as far
1: as like the sailing the seas go it has a exactly
0: exactly but yeah it's fine uh it's okay i'll i'll, I'll take <laughs> it anyway um so uh now that we've discussed the tempest yes we are next time going to discuss the tempest uh...
1: <laughs> well technically we're going to discuss <laughs> wh Auden discussing the tempest because right we needed so... more layers of abstraction in this show
0: we're always looking for those layers of abstraction. Um, so yes, W. H. Auden wrote a poem called "The Sea and the Mirror," which is a an essay, a commentary on the Tempest by Shakespeare. It's uh, what twenty early twentieth century. Uh
1: work. yeah, pre pre World War Two for sure.
0: So yes, uh, the sea and the mirror is what it's called by W. H. Auden. Uh, When I say poem, don't think that you can just, you know, find this online. It is a book-length poem. It is. Um, I mean, you probably can find it online,
1: but you're going to be staring at your screen for quite a while to get through all of it.
0: Right, right. So, yeah, you know, find it in
1: book form. I mean, do find it in book form. It's very satisfying to read. Right. I mean, I have have W.H. Auden's Complete Poems, and I want to say it's like 40 or 50 pages in that format. Yeah. Um, more
0: it's something like 60 70 pages just in the edition that i have um but yeah it's it's a long poem but certainly by no means um uh an unwieldy burden certainly
1: shorter than the tempest itself yes exactly so
0: So, yes that is what we will be reading and discussing for next time so two weeks from now we will talk about wh Auden talking about the tempest uh (laughs) and so read along uh, give us your feedback on The Tempest and all of these things. Uh, you can go to tapestryradio.org go to the contact section, put Scotch Talk in the subject line uh, to let us know what you think. Uh, on Twitter, find us at Room with Scotch, or find us on Facebook in the Tapestry Radio Tap House Facebook group. Um, if you request to join, we'll let you in unless you're Caliban. <laughs> uh, but if you're really, really nice and promise not to rape our daughters, we'll let wow. you in. Uh, but with a, a, a grueling set of tasks to prove your loyalty. Anyway, um, but we'll also do your homework. Uh, we don't promise to do it well, but we do condone plagiarism. So steal our work, turn it into your teachers, and we will laugh at you uh, as you're logged off to plagiarism jail. Uh, just go to our website, tapistradio.org scotchcast. Fill out the form to submit your homework to us. We will do our best uh, and we'll try to make it fun uh and we'll give you your homework back and you can compare to what you did or as i said turn it into your teacher and be legged off to plagiarism jail if you like this podcast check out uh, the other shows on the tapestry radio network like intermission and pokemon rollout intermission is the backstage drama podcast pokemon rollout is the pokemon tabletop united actual play rpg podcast rate and review us and all the podcasts you like on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts like google play or pod knife or pod bean. Are you just pod saying
1: the word pod and then whatever digit- noun you think of?
0: Yeah, you know, pod face, pod book, pod. So space. now you are, and
1: you're just looking around your office to try to find, come pod up with words.
0: Plant pod coffee. Ooh, pod coffee. I would take I that. Would, yeah, I would use that service. Yeah, that sounds good. Tm tm um, tm okay. tm. <laughs> yes uh since we don't pay to advertise uh that's the best way others can learn about us besides word of mouth so tell people you listen to this podcast uh start a book club about the books that we read and read them and discuss them and give us your feedback and then listen to our feedback but only think Uh, the things that we think yes yes one of us (laughs) one of us yeah ethan where can people find Uh, you i
1: am on twitter at bjartlett b-j-a-r-t-l-e-t-t kelly link recently liked one of my tweets um so that's my biggest Twitter no claim to no fame. Baby. Other than um Seven and a half deaths. Um yeah. Stuart Turton uh specifically tweeting about our show with evidence that he'd read it or listened to it. We listened, we said evidence yeah, that Stuart we had Turton. read it. It's it's a whole thing. Um anyway, those those yep. all very good. Uh so that and I have a webcomic called Pin Porter Girl Detective. About a twelve year old girl detective who investigates mysteries that end up being about fairies but not the cuddly kind, the real dangerous kind it's a great noir fairy tale mystery, and it's at pinporterdetective.com. dot com or just google pinporter Girl Detective
0: woo uh I'm on twitter at m g l i l i e n t h a l as well as in uh, the other tapestry radio shows. Uh, so check those out. Check me out. Tweet at me. I've been tweeting lately about my adventures in foster care. Very good. Um, it's fun. Uh, just lately, uh, my foster daughter and I were eating burritos for lunch, and she called them diaper <laughs> sandwiches. Uh, so that's that's fantastic. adorable. But don't give this uh, stuff
1: away for free. Make people check your Twitter for it.
0: Yep. Yeah, no. That's 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 the that's the enticing bait. Oh, okay. See okay, that I you know it. that one exists. So now find out what other things are, are there. Yes. So. Um, yes so until next time gentle listener just remember it's our party and because it's our party and our narrative everyone will cry including the heavens if we want them to
1: because we're Prospero
0: ooh <laughs>